We've just finished verses 1 to 14, where I think we could all agree that one of the main themes of 1 through 14 was praising God for what he's done, right? Three times he's calling us to praise the glory of God's grace, to praise his glory, praise his glory. That's a pretty common theme there. And now in verses 15 to 23, we're going to see Paul praying, giving thanks, and also making requests that these believers, these churches in Ephesus, and us by extension, would come to know the fullness of what we have been blessed with. This is the balance I think we're supposed to see, that of praise and prayer. And if you were to focus on one or the other, to the exclusion of the other, so if all we do is praise and there's no prayer, all you do is prayer and there's no praise, it can be somewhat unbalanced. You could say, well, how can that be unbalanced? I mean, aren't praise and prayer both really good things, part of the Christian life? And they are. But someone could put too much emphasis on the blessings that we've seen and say, you know what, we have everything we need, we're just good, we're going to stay here, and they never pray and ask God to bring them into a more full experience to really know what God has done. And on the other side, someone might be constantly praying, oh, God, show me what you have for me. What have you done? What do I have in you? And not realize that we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So I think there's a balance that Paul wants us to see and a balance that we should have in our Christian life of understanding what God has done but not being set there to the point where we never ask him for anything else. God desires that we not only experience the blessings he's given us, but pray that the Holy Spirit would apply those in deeper ways. So this is kind of the balance in the way that I'm seeing these two sections put together. So with that in mind, I invite you to open your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll read starting at verse 15 this morning. So Ephesians chapter 1. And verse 15, please follow along as I read. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we look at this text and we see Paul asking you to do something, asking you to work on behalf of these believers, we would echo that prayer and ask that as we read your word today, Lord, you would open our understanding. Don't let this just be an exercise in routine, Lord, that we just come to church, we open the Bible, we hear something, and we leave. Don't leave us there. That's where we would be without your spirit. So, Father, come this morning. Work this truth deep, deep into our hearts so that we leave here changed 
and ready to interact with those around us in a way that honors you and shows love to them. So we ask that you do this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in this section, 15 to 23, probably through the end of the month. As I said a couple weeks ago, next Sunday we have Josh Wettstein coming to preach from 1 Peter 5. Josh is the regional director of church planting for the North American Missions Board, and he's been really influential in getting our church up and running and really helpful for us, and so we're excited to have him. Then the following few weeks we'll continue this section in Ephesians. So the first, we've got three points this morning. The first two are going to be relatively brief. We'll spend most of our time on the third. So number one, we're going to see the reason for Paul's prayer. Number two, the consistency of Paul's prayer. And then third, the content of Paul's prayer. And we're not going to get all the way through that. We'll pick up number three when we come back to Ephesians in two weeks. So first of all, the reason. Paul says in verses 15 and 16, for this reason... He makes it really obvious. We don't have to look very hard. (laughs) For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. I think that when Paul says, for this reason, you could look back and think that Paul, in writing this, remember he wrote this as a letter. There weren't verse divisions in the original. He's just in the flow of thought writing this. He could be thinking back to what he just wrote. And giving thanks for all this stuff. But I think because of the way the text reads and how we see him give these reasons, we should think of this as him kind of citing what's coming here in the text. He has heard of their faith in Jesus and their love towards all the saints. Hearing these two things has caused Paul to give thanks to God for these believers. Now I think every word in the Bible is important and necessary for us. Paul wrote to Timothy that the word of God is breathed out by God. God spoke it into existence. And it is profitable, all of it, for our teaching and rebuke and instruction in righteousness, all those things. So everything's important. But I think here, not only are the words important, but the order of what Paul says is also important. He says that it is faith in Jesus first and then love for the saints second, not the other way around. You might say, oh my goodness, you are getting way too specific here. Do we really need to be that detailed? And perhaps not. And this certainly is not the main point. But I think it fits with the rest of the narrative in the New Testament that our love for each other, the things that we do, the good things that flow out of us are coming because we have the love of Christ in us, not the other way around. We don't love people and then we add a little bit of Jesus to that love and call it Christianity. We show love to one another because of the faith that has been given to us. The faith to believe what God says. The faith to trust the promises of God. This is what produces in us doing good works. Love towards one another. James made this really clear in his letter. He talks about the relationship between faith and works in chapter 2. Listen to some of what he says. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go and and find help somewhere else, be warmed and filled. In other words, if there's needs, and we as Christians ignore those and just say, well, I hope everything gets taken care of, James is saying, what good is that? Verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works 
is dead. Paul is hearing about what's going on in the churches at Ephesus, probably from Tychicus, who was kind of the messenger. We read a lot in Paul's letters about him going back and forth. And he hears that not only do they have faith in Jesus, which in itself is a cause for rejoicing to God, but the faith has produced in them an attitude that shows love for all the saints. And you can see this in verse 15, love towards all the saints, all of them. If we were to apply this to our context, I could say, well, does that mean that we really have to love everybody that we go to church with, that we're in here with? All the saints. What about the people that irritate us? Yes. What about the people that don't really get along with us? Yes. Well, what about the people? Yes, just all of them. Just put that over everyone. This is what Paul is writing, and he sees this in the church, and he commends them for it. He doesn't commend them and say, you know, I've heard that there's certain groups in the church that you really love, and that's super great. Keep up the good work. No, he says, I've heard that you have love for all the saints, and he commends them for that. The reason that Paul is thanking God is because he heard of their faith, and the faith that caused them to turn and show that love that they've received from Christ to one another. So number one, the reason for Paul's prayer is that he had heard of their faith and their love. Number two, the consistency of Paul's prayer. Verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now what might it mean that Paul didn't cease to give thanks? What if we switch places right now and I said, "You, you tell me what you think. What does that mean? Does it mean that Paul literally never stopped praying? So he's up for 18 hours a day, Every minute he's praying. I don't think so. I mean, Paul worked. He was a tent maker. He pastored. He preached. He traveled. He ate. So he wasn't literally praying every single minute of the day. So what is he doing? I think this language shows the consistency of Paul's prayer and his prayer life. Now, many of us Maybe at the turn of the year or at some point we make a resolution, we make a goal, we want to pray more, more fervently, more frequently. And you start off really good. (laughs) And then your life gets busy, schedule creeps in, and before you know it, you've missed a day, you've missed a week. Over time, that's what happens usually with our prayer. The example that the Apostle Paul is giving us here, though, from his own experience is that of consistency. I don't, I don't have any doubt that Paul regularly, faithfully, and consistently prayed for these churches. Not only for these churches in Ephesus, but for all the churches. He talked about that when he was talking about his sufferings. And in addition to the physical suffering, he said, and I have the weight of all the churches on me. He cared for all these churches and he prayed for them regularly. So when he says that he does not cease... I think it means that he will never stop thanking God and praying for these churches. This is really common Pauline language. He uses this in many of his letters to let the churches know that he's praying for them. Let me give you a couple examples. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you because it is right. In verse 11 of the same chapter, To this end we always pray for you. Colossians 1.9, which is a parallel text to what we're studying in Ephesians. If you want to read that this week alongside this, it's very close. He says this in verse 9. 
Colossians 1, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Philippians 1, 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine. This is just really consistent language on Paul's part, that he has a dedication to praying for these churches. Over and over again, we see this pattern. So I think when we read that he didn't cease, we should read consistency, regularity. He constantly, in his prayers, was making mention of them and giving thanks to God for them. Now, before we move on here, I just want to make a point of application as I was thinking about this. When you, when you read the prayers of Paul, which, by the way, is a really good exercise. I did this this week. When you put the prayers of Paul together and you read them, you start to see themes and patterns, and it shows a consistent part of Paul's prayer life. If you want a really good book on this, D.A. Carson wrote a book called A Call to Spiritual Reformation by Don Carson. Excellent. He takes all the prayers of Paul and lists them out and kind of shows how they're similar, how they're different. Very good resource on this. So, not only does Paul pray for these believers in the church, but he tells them how he's going to pray for them. How often have you and I been in a conversation and talking to someone and they're going through something or some event is coming up in their life and you say, I'm going to pray for you. And that's great, and we should. But what if we followed the model that Paul gives us here and not only said, yeah, you know what, I'm going to pray for you, but he said, you know what, I'm going to pray for you this week that X, Y, and Z and shared with them how you're going to pray. I was talking to a friend of mine this week on the phone and him and his family are at a kind of a crossroads. They have decisions to make about what they're going to do, where they're going to go. And having been in this text, <coughs> excuse me, I said, you know what, I'm going to pray this week for you that God would do this and that you'd be comforted with this and whatever. I'm not making myself the hero. I'm just saying, what if we as a church, Grace Bible Church, put this principle into practice and encouraged one another, not only by saying, "Uh, I'm going to pray for you, but said, you know what, I'm going to pray these things for you. I just think that could be a great way that we can encourage one another and follow the pattern of what we see in Paul's prayers. What an encouragement that could be to one another. So number two, in this passage, we see the consistency of Paul's prayer. Lastly, number three, the content of Paul's prayer. As we read now into Ephesians 1, in this next section, in verses 17, 18, and 19, give us the content of what Paul is chiefly or primarily praying for these believers, and like I said also, I think for us. We're not going to get through all of this today, but we'll look at verse 17 and then pick up when we come back in a couple weeks. So let's get this in context again before we finish. Starting verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. As Paul makes his first request here in verse 17, we see not only what he is asking for, the request that he's making, but we say whom he is asking it of. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Father of glory. Most times when we see glory in the Bible, we rightly think of majesty, honor, position. 
God is glorious in his dealings with the children of men, the psalmist says. I think here, though, we can also read the word glory as a description of God's power. And here's why I think that. Later, in verse 19, we're going to read about the greatness of his power and the working of his great might. So when Paul is asking these things, when he's making these requests for God to move and act and work in the hearts of these believers, he is not asking a quiet, unknown, timid God. He's speaking of God Almighty, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all life. When Paul asks a thing of God, he knows that God can do it because he knows God's power that's been displayed in his own life. How about you? Do you know God's power? Have you come to the point where you understand God's unlimited resources that he can answer any prayer according to his own will and purpose. This is a confidence that Paul had when he was praying to God. Not just, man, I really hope this works, but I'm not sure. No, he knew that he was praying not to any God, not to Artemis, not to the gods of the Ephesians, but the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. If we pray to God, yet in the back of our mind we're thinking, man, this is too big. I'm not sure if this is going to happen or not. What does that say about God? If we pray to God and in the bottom of our heart we're like, this is never going to happen. (laughs) That's not faith. That's not confidence. Paul had confidence in God. The God of glory. So when he prays and he asks these things of the churches, I believe that he has confidence in what God can do and what God will do, and you and I should have the same confidence. So that's who Paul is asking, the Father of glory. Now, let's look at what Paul is asking. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, This one verse could have been its own sermon. There is so much going on here. And as we go through, you know, we're going to focus on small points to this passage, but I just encourage you to keep reading the whole thing. Keep the whole thing in context so we don't lose the forest for the trees. So Paul prays for them to receive the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. He does not pray that God would strengthen them so they could do the work and somehow earn this gift. He says, give it to them. Let them receive it from you. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he says, what do you have that you didn't receive? Everything from God is a gift to us. So Paul is praying that they would receive this. Remember last week we saw that every believer has been sealed with the Spirit. When we're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. So when we read this, we shouldn't assume that Paul is talking about some kind of second experience with the Holy Spirit. Some people teach that you get saved and you get some of it and then when you have this experience, then you get the second filling of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit. I think what Paul is talking about more is that he prays God would bring us into a more full and complete understanding of what has been given to us at conversion. This is not an extra special dose for those who are really spiritual and really holy. 
This is the prayer part. Remember we said praise and prayer? This is the prayer part, that we would pray that God would work this into our hearts. I believe that's what Paul is doing. Now, why would Paul ask for wisdom to be given? Why would our need for this be so great that Paul, think of everything he could have prayed for the churches, but he prays for wisdom first. Well, I don't know about you, but on any given day, I make hundreds of decisions. Where to go, what to do, who to see. Should I put attention toward this or should I put attention toward this? Where should I focus my energy? What's the best use of my time? How do I parent my kids? How do I shepherd my wife? On and on and on, decision after decision after decision. And if I'm not praying for the Holy Spirit to work the wisdom of God into my heart, how can I expect to make decisions that honor God? Paul's praying this not because he thinks everyone's a bunch of idiots, but because he knows that we desperately need the wisdom of God in our life. Not only to honor him, which is primary, but also to make decisions that help the people around us, that show compassion, all those things. We need God's help for all of that. Wisdom in the Christian life is invaluable. So how do you get it? What if you don't have someone like Paul praying that you would get it? How do you come into that for yourself? Well, again, the book of James, chapter 1. This is probably familiar for you. James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, and we could all raise our hand because we all lack it, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given. Do you lack wisdom? You feel like you need help making decisions that honor God? Then ask. (laughs) This is what the text is telling us. If anyone lacks it, ask God. Ask for help. Don't be too proud to ask God for help. This is what Paul is praying for these churches in Ephesus. That they would come to understand that God has given them his Holy Spirit. We saw that we've been sealed with that last week. And because we have the Spirit, we have access to all the wisdom that God can give to us. That God would give them a spirit of wisdom, but not only of wisdom, wisdom and revelation. Revelation in what? As we're looking at the text, 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The knowledge of him. Do you know what this means? This means that when we read the Bible, we're searching the word of God, we're reading trying to know what God has for us, it means we are absolutely and utterly dependent upon the Holy Spirit to reveal God's word to us. We need the spirit of revelation to assist and open our eyes. When we come back to verse 18, we're going to see that Paul prays, in addition to this, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened or opened. What are the eyes of your heart? I know we have valves, but what about the eyes? So we've got to find out what that means. We'll get to that when we come. But what do you do when you read the Bible? What's your routine? Just think about this for a minute. You sit down. You open the Word. What happens? Do we read it? Close it? Think about it? 
Paul knew that you and I, the Ephesian churches, he himself was dependent upon the working of the Holy Spirit to take the word of God and apply it to us in such a way that we know it was God's doing. The psalmist understood this as well. In Psalm 119, verse 18, he prays, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things in your law. Open my eyes. When we read the Bible, every time we open it, we should pray this. Or something like this. God, open my understanding. Don't let me read this book like anything else. It's not like anything else. It's your words to me. Open my eyes that I would see what's here. And you know what? God loves to answer that prayer. (laughs) Of all the prayers we can pray, I am convinced that asking God to help us understand his word is a prayer that he delights to answer. This is the prayer that I probably pray most for you as a church. Not that you'd have good attendance or vote for the budget or whatever, but that when you open the word of God, God would work through his word. We we have no hope apart from that. You ever wonder why secular scholars can open the Bible and read it and analyze it and nothing changes? They don't have the spirit of God in them. Showing them the word, showing them the beauty of Jesus, showing them what God has done for us and calling them to praise. Don't read the Bible like a worldly person. Read it like a Christian who has the spirit of God dwelling in you. And if we don't have it and you're wondering how to get this wisdom, ask God. Go to James 1, read it, get it in your mind and God will give it to you. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. We saw the reason for Paul's prayer, the consistency of Paul's prayer, and we started to see the content of what Paul is praying. So next time we'll continue under point number three, the content of Paul's prayer. But as we close and come to the table here in a minute, I just want to give a point, two points of application. As we read the text, and you wonder, okay, I see what Paul's doing, I see what's going on, now what what do I do with it? It's an important question, right? I have two things. Number one, let's model what Paul models, and as we pray for people, as you pray for one another, which I hope we're doing, Let people know how you're praying for them. Okay, let's put this into practice as a church. This week, David, I'm praying for you, and here's how I'm going to pray for you, that God would this, this, that, and this. Let's put this into practice. Number two, when we read the Bible, write Psalm 119 on a little note card if you want and stick it in your Bible and pray, God, open my eyes that I would see wondrous things, unbelievable things in your word. Pray that God would do that as we read his word. And you know what? He is faithful and he will answer that prayer. So let people know how you're praying and ask God to open your eyes to see what's in his word. Let's pray together. Lord, we need your help. 
We need you to come through your spirit and apply what we've heard this morning. And I ask that you wouldn't leave us to ourselves, Lord. Don't, don't let us read the Bible like non-Christians. Help us read in the power of your spirit. And Lord, would you open our understanding to help us see what's in your word. Lord, maybe there's some who are hearing this this morning and they don't, they don't know if they have this. They don't know if they can even ask you for this. Lord, for those who are apart from you, draw them to yourself through your word. Quicken their heart. Open their understanding to hear the gospel and come to you in faith. Lord, we ask for you to change your hearts. Make us more like Jesus. And use this example of Paul's prayer to do that. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.